Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delicio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. This is Mike Delicio, host of The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. And I would like to thank all of our listeners out there for all of your likes, your comments, and your subscriptions to this podcast over the last 12 months. I, myself, am a listener to the podcast, and I'm always overwhelmed by the amount of information that is shared within our little industry. Most importantly, as I look back and reflected on 2019, it gave me the opportunity to select some of my most favorite moments from the Mortar and Pestle podcast. What we've done actually is put compiled a whole bunch of information in some of our best snippets. This, if you are new to us, will give you a much better understanding of what the mortar and pestle is and really highlight some of those key moments that we had with some of our guests. We had a chance to sit down with some of our members, marketing teams, physicians, individuals that fell from outside of the PCCA ecosystem, as well as some of the PCCA employees that make us so special, including some of our clinical services specialists. This is going to be a great opportunity for you to review 2019 as a whole. We do love the fact that you've had the chance to tune into the podcast every two weeks, and we do hope that you continue listening into 2020. On behalf of PCCA, we'd love to wish you a very happy and prosperous new year, and all the best to you and your pharmacy staff. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this year in review. So how often does it or how frequent is it that a patient comes in and says, you know what, I, I need to reassess my current lifestyle, my, my current well-being, um, and then it could be an opportunity for you also as a pharmacist to look at nutrition, to look at nutri- uh, nutrient depletion, to look at metabolic syndrome, to look at uh, functional medicine as a whole, and how do you lend yourself um, as a practitioner or as a professional at that point and provide a different approach to their life? And how do you kind of engage them in a different way? So obviously, New Year's resolutions are always the, the, the pre- precipitation of change. It's New Year, new life, going to set my goals and away I go. Um, but I find in the pharmacy world, it's it's daily. Usually people get bad news. When they're walking to a pharmacy, these are generally not healthy people who are coming in and looking for specific uh, changes. You know, they're coming in because they've just walked out of the doctor and they've been told something that has given them a pretty big road marker to you need to change and you need to change now. I, I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in the functional medicine ideology that best health comes with best nutrition and pharmacotherapy, specifically compounding, um, is an adjunct. It's not primary, primarily intervention with drugs for these patients is, is a small piece. And this is where one of the biggest, biggest opportunities lies within the clinical world, uh, for compounding and, and specifically in consultation services is if you undertake a, a functional medicine approach, you can see that you can actually integrate so many different parts of the practice. But but specifically to your question, Mike, um, yeah, always in January, you always see that happen. Um, usually it's also the, there, there's three specific times that we see. January, New Year's resolutions, 
usually mid-March, end of March, where people are start thinking about like, oh, I got to get ready for the summer and I, I really want to change. And then, yeah, closer to closer to uh, end of summer, hey, I got I, I want to be ready for my for the fall. But when you're talking about uh, micronutrients, uh, functional medicine, testing, all of those pieces, I look at it as every single day. Every single day, there's a patient who's going to walk in and say, I've been diagnosed. I'm pre-diabetic. Um, my doctor has told me I've got to lose 20 to 30 pounds. I am being told that I have high blood pressure. Uh, I'm a candidate for metabolic syndrome. I have, uh, I have hormone imbalances. Every day, the population gets older. Every day, the population is getting closer to, uh, to hormone imbalances. And so we see them at every day, every opportunity. So I kind of I kind of always take the 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 patients who are walking and saying I have a new resolution new years is is just a it's a small segment compared to the pharma, the overall pharmacy population that's walking through the door. So now to continue, sorry I'm kind of rambling here but um in the direction of of how we can actually get people started on this one is know what tests are available so that you can actually test your patient population. Assessment testing, um, review, recommendation. And that's, that's effectively what I, what I would always recommend to anyone who's, who's looking at a patient. How do I treat them? Where do I start? Well, what, what is their issue? Well, can you confirm that with tests? Uh, functional medicine approaches, we never give hormones without actually testing to ensure that that's the appropriate course of action. And within the pharmacy world, you have to follow a medical paradigm. We, we have to be careful that we're not making recommendations without the full picture. Uh, if you've ever heard anyone in the A4M world, they will tell you, you must test before you prescribe. And that goes for physicians. And I would double that statement down for pharmacists. We can make recommendations, but without the appropriate testing and without having the full picture, you could be exacerbating a condition, you could be intensifying a, a condition, you could actually be driving a patient off the bus pretty, or in a bus off the cliff pretty quickly. So regards to testing, always, 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 um, if you can, hormone test. One of the things I think you're more interested in, spe specifically for nutritional aspect, is uh, doing, doing micronutrient testing. You can actually do that through a number of labs that we're affiliated with. Please give us a call, we can talk through them. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, call me directly. Certainly happy to share that information. Um, but getting a micronutrient test, it's a saliva test. You can actually see what micronutrients they're, they're low in. And then that's where I would always start. Nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. Fix the nutrition. Fix the gut. Heal the gut. Make sure that it's working appropriately. Making sure micronutrients and uh, there's no depletion in the system. And once you've done that, you can actually see some of the symptoms uh, symptoms that the patients are complaining about resolving. So you, you've said to me like we're almost at a tipping point oh. with, with with compounding and that's usually a, a very positive term so I want to hear your <laughs> your take on it so because you're on the other side of the table you're a prescriber what do you see? Uh, medicine really is at a crossroads now it truly is we are at a tipping point where because the science is exponentially changing so quickly that I think everybody, it doesn't matter what field you are in healthcare, you really realize it's a personalized approach because the science is here to do it. And that just sets the foray 
for a physician to look at an anti-aging personalized medicine approach and for a compounder to be there to help them with the patient. You know, it, it's so important with my compounding pharmacists that I work directly with that they support what I educate the patient with. Because if I instruct the patient to do something and my compounding pharmacist backs that up and goes back over it with the patient, then I get much better compliance. I don't get that at a quote-unquote other pharmacy out there. I actually get that all the time with my compounders. It's wonderful. I think of when you came to join the PCCA team in 2014. Uh, shortly thereafter, we, our R&D team, um, our innovative side of our business, invented new bases that basically honed in on dermatological applications. So mm -hmm. I think of Zematop um, yep. as being one of the ideal candidates mostly to treat psoriasis and eczema. I think about our clarifying base, which is used for facial applications. Acne, um, rosacea. Exactly, and the list yep. goes on and on. And then I think about Spearwash also in terms of its impact on wound care. Um, obviously very hard to treat wounds. And mm -hmm. I think that's a topic that the both of you have spoken on. Um, I've seen the presentations. I've been horrified all at <laughs> once because Seb always like, check out this wound. Check out to, to see what this pharmacist has sent us and what we got to treat. We, we, we call it pharmacy porn. Yeah. <laughs> and, Did and you see this one? Oh, yeah. gross. Show these, me again. Uh, Show these me are again. images that I do, I do not wish to uh, to look at when, I'm, when I have some spare time. But... Um, I think about all these bases that have come out that are specifically designed for dermatological application. And I think about the R&D that PCCA has invested in. Um, what has this meant for a lot of patients out there? And not only patients, but the member pharmacies who have access to these bases. And what has it meant to the formulations that we provide? Have we been able to do different things um, in different ways because of the innovation that we've invested within the company? Great question, and the answer is absolutely yes. It, it has literally changed the complexion, no pun intended, of, uh, of, of <laughs> derm practice. Sorry, did I go there? That was smooth, man. Okay, okay. And, uh, it's a granddad joke. I but uh, I had when I, you know, when I first um, got here in 2014, I had to spend a lot of time self-study. You know, I mean, to kind of catch up on all the bases and 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 what was going on. So I, I think probably for the first six months or so that I was here, I didn't create any formulations. And then they asked me to get involved with ear, nose, and throat. And then that's when I started going crazy with Mucolox. We didn't talk about that, but that ear, nose, and throat base, it's phenomenal. And then they, next year they asked me to get involved and do some derm presentation work. And that's when I kind of exploded on the derm formulas. And, and Prakasa. Uh, I can't forget about Prakasa. Oh, yeah. No, you can't. I mean, the scars. I mean, um, I, I, I would just digress for a second. The R&D department in our company is the most innovative department of research and development in compounding in the world. When we develop products, our competition is literally in the rearview mirror. There's no question about it. Nobody else has this level of innovation, and it has been consistently innovative. They have developed bases that are designed to hold pharmaceutical ingredients, active pharmaceutical ingredients. And uh, a lot of the things that dermatologists have been typically n known for is they'll go, okay, there's a product on the market. It's like it's a facial wash or a cleanser. And they'll go, okay, we want you to put, you know, 5% of this, 10% of this ingredient in, into this product that's really designed to be a standalone. A, a standalone moisturizer or something. And it's never designed to hold active ingredients. Whereas our bases are designed, specifically designed to incorporate, make them more functional, or at least make them functional or available to the skin so that they will disseminate into the skin properly, be absorbed and flux through the skin and do their job, you know, the way they should. And um, it, it, it has changed everything dermatologically. Um, 
we, um, um, like Zimatop, for example, Zimatop has got 35 ingredients in it. That's not, a, that's not a simple base. That's a very complex base, right? And when you get around to looking at the number of ingredients, you've got, um, you've got things that are so specific. For example, uh, Zimatop has a ceramide in it, and it's not just a ceramide. People go, okay, what's a ceramide? Well, ceramide is a, like a fat, so to speak, that the human body produces. And as the skin, skin cells move up, it releases this fat, into, to, and then, then that becomes part of this coating around all the cells on the surface of the skin. That's a, it, we call it lipid. So it's this natural lipid that occurs on the skin. Well, as you get older, you make less of that. And we know this, right? Our R&D department knows this. And not only did we know that to put a ceramide in, in the product, but we knew the right kind of ceramide to put in the product because the ones that's, that's, that's short, the, we have the lack of as we get older are the long chains. And this was a long chain. So it, it's a, a synthetic long chain. So it fits in and actually helps repair the barrier. So if you look at a skin condition like eczema, the barrier is no good in the skin. We're losing water through the skin because of this disruption because of the disease state. Same thing with atopic dermatitis, same thing with psoriasis, rosacea. There's all this water evaporation from the skin. So that means the skin is not holding the moisture in and doing its job properly. That's one of the major functions of skin is to keep the moisture in, right? So if you can help improve or repair the barrier with a product, then not only have you been able to incorporate drugs to treat the condition, but you've been able to actually repair the barrier, which is a huge key to helping the patient recover and, and maybe get permanent recovery from a disease state. So yeah, our bases uh, by far are the, the most innovative things um, that I, I think that's come into dermatology in a long, long, long time. Does it change the way that you've consulted pharmacists? Absolutely. We, uh, the, the number of formulations we've put together in the last couple of years <laughs> for derm is off the chain. So we're over 9,000 as a company. Mm -hmm. And Seb alluded to, I don't know if it was an accurate number, but it's over 1,000 formulas. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's probably quite possible. So, I, I think I'm, I've, so, I've so, created so, about 120 a year for the last several years. So Every time he does a presentation, there's at least somewhere between eight to 10 new formulations in the last five slides each, it seems. <laughs> He's like, okay, so I'm just going to do a couple of Mucolox uh, formulations. Hey, look at these. And I'm like, where did you come up with? It's the same thing. But, so, but Case but, in point, if you see Nat Jones on one of our agendas for one of our live events, you're going to come learn it's a, something it's completely a must attend. new. It's oh, a yeah. complete must there's, attend. There's well, I want to give them their incredible. money's worth. And, and everybody's always looking for what's new. Right. Our, our members are always... I think come people to our, are our, listening to this podcast, Nat, to find out what is new. We'll get to that in a sec, but... Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a big part of what compounding pharmacy is. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of the education piece, as mm -hmm. Sebastian alluded to. It's a big part of what we do from a consulting point of view. People want to know what's new because they need to bring it into their practice and hopefully market it in a certain way to set themselves apart. I personally couldn't think of a better way to set myself apart without using our bases or without using some of the formulation ideas that you bring to the forefront and then focusing in on a topic like dermatology that sometimes doesn't get as much attention as pain management or hormones mm -hmm. and, and functional medicine and the other things that we always consider um, are directly related to compounding. But when it comes to dermatology, like you said, you, you shared patient stories that make dramatic impacts on people's lives. I know you probably have tens or hundreds of these stories based on the patients that you've seen. You say that because you're young, but youth also suffers from hormonal imbalance. So that's the other thing. The takeaway is not, it's not just about menopause and andropause. It's about stress. 
So, you know, we live in a very stressful, computerized, you know, fast society. Actually, in my practice, I'm seeing a lot of people that aren't even having sex because they don't have time. And, and then when they don't have time, you know, everything is rush, rush, rush. You know, or they, they can't lock the door. They have to go get the kids here and there and everywhere. And then, you know, they're getting hormonally imbalanced because of the stress. And then that's where vaginal dryness comes in. And that's where decreased sex drive comes in, erectile dysfunction. So we, I see erectile dysfunction in 28-year-olds. I'm seeing more testosterone depletion in the younger population today than I am in the older population in my office. And the one thing, the one thing is dietary. They are eating garbage on the run. I was going to ask that. How much, how much is attributed to right. nutrition and, and how much is attributed to stress? 110%. You could be a body of, uh, you know, that's in stress. So long as you are protecting it good nutritionally and hormonally and really checking your levels. I just had a young guy come into me about two months ago. He was taking seven to eight Red Bulls a day. He was an electrician. His brain was all over the place. I just saw him yesterday when I came here as a follow-up. His brain was all over the place. After a thorough investigation of him, and he had attention deficit. He's 20, yeah, he was a young guy. So he had attention deficit disorder. He was on Adderall. He was on the, then they stopped giving him Adderall. Then he started doing the Red Bull. He wasn't eating well, blah, blah, blah. I look at his tongue, the guy was so dehydrated. And I saw that he was just minerally depleted. So I gave minerals, hydration, got him off Red Bull, and gave him methylated B. This guy is totally a different person. He said, I am focused, I could go to work. He has his own business that was falling. He said, I could go to work and I'm actually remembering things, I feel better. So this is all the things that you have to do. You have to look at their lifestyle, what they've been through, what they've tried before, and then look at their deficiencies, you know, their minerals, their vitamins, their, and their genetics. So it is a disease of young, of youth. And his, he could have a very stressful life, but now his cortisol is balanced because he has everything else. The solution, I call it, that's bathing this cortisol is beautiful right now. So cortisol could work. But if you have a bad solution, your testosterone is going to go down, your estrogen is going to go down, no matter how old you are. You could be 21 years old and a bodybuilder and have low testosterone. We've, we've focused on something like this as well. The, not only the importance of educating yourself, uh, but bringing a prescriber to an mm -hmm. event. Uh, what does that mean to the future of your business model? What does that mean to the relationship that you have with a physician? Because they're being exposed to the same education, the same talk that you are. You're obviously sitting in the same room together. You're spending time with one another outside of the pharmacy, outside of being and having that communication on the phone. You're, you're now in, in a different city. You get a chance to connect. What does it mean to your practice, not only from a learning experience, but from a building your business experience? And, and what does that mean to you? Well, to me, for them, it's all about the networking, too, because they're not just learning the same thing that I'm learning and actually that I maybe know and I know better than they do, you know, if, the, if they're new practitioner. But they are meeting practitioners here that then they are going to have relationships moving forward. And they might come next year and see them again. Or they might have new, new patients be new practitioners and they will call on each other. Well, that all comes to making me look glorious because I introduced them for the first time, or you did. But in all honesty, it's like, it's just, a, it goes back to the um, family community of 
the event. You know, it's always it's always the pearl. Like you go to the event and you're going to take a pearl home that's going to pay for your event. Well, it's so simple when you bring one practitioner. If you brought ten practitioners, your you know your pearl is that they're going to learn something that is going to build their practice and build your practice. So well, what it's does it mean from a credibility point of view, also as a prescriber, to hear from peers and colleagues, and not only from the stage, but as they mingle on breaks and lunches and have the chance to communicate and to introduce themselves, what does that mean to the credibility of compounding and customized medication? Well, already, so um, we had, we, we always try to sit by someone else at lunch and someone else at breakfast and you know, so you're constantly introducing your practitioner to new practitioners. Well, already they, I've heard them talk about, well, just that last little segment of this seminar, uh, I just sat and listed patients that I had to go home and, you know, reintroduce them to this new therapy. And so they're, um, and then the other practitioner said, well, that I was doing that too. And, and then they're like, well, if I, you know, can't remember something, could we like have a conversation like in a couple of weeks from now and compare notes? And well, absolutely. I'm open. And they exchange cards and away they go. And they're like three states apart. Just doesn't matter. They can talk on the phone. I've even introduced them to uh, pharmacists in a bordering state of mind. There again, it's not a competitive atmosphere. We're all about learning and sharing. But the hiring of personnel to manage the marketing efforts. So you gave a few, few tidbits. One was the intelligence, the persona, the ability to establish relationships, the ability to handle the steep learning curve. Um, but I think something that stands out to me was that you were all in. You made an investment in an individual that yeah. was so new, um, and it could have went either way, right? And but you yeah. were you kind of followed your gut as well, and that's that's hard to dictate to somebody who is trying to get on board and get a marketer up to speed. Is that you, you made an investment? Immediate C three centered to HRT. I'm assuming the marketing and sales symposium came yeah. afterwards. Uh, needless to say, Steve, I know I've commended you before the podcast, but Haley's been with you for eight years, so you've you've spent your money wisely, and your investment is obviously uh, in line with your business strategy, and, and it's worked out for you guys personally, and I think that's why we wanted to have you guys both on the podcast. That is the primary reason why we wanted you guys to share your story, is that there is so much success to be found, and when it is a symbiotic relationship that works extremely well, the proof is in the pudding. We'll talk about your business growth in a sec. I know Seb had a question and he wants to jump in, but I wanted to commend you on all that because you obviously shared a lot and I wanted to be able to review a lot of those things that we get questions on that might resonate with a lot of our audience. So thanks for sharing those, those points that really stick out. What excites you about being a presenter and a teacher? Because I think we've probably repeated ourselves a few times throughout the course of multiple episodes, but the importance of education. I asked you about a consultative approach to patients. Education is always the number one thing that comes up. The HRT event here in Vegas is an annual event. It is the largest HRT event in the compounding industry, and it becomes, it, is, it has become one of our crown jewels of our education event calendar. It is something that, for the most part, we've had people that have come for over 10 years, 15 years. We see the very similar faces, but there's a lot of, there's a new audience as well. So it is really cool because it gives us the opportunity to network with our members, 
they get the opportunity to network, to build their community as well, to learn more from not only from our clinical services team, but they learn from other physicians, they learn from other pharmacists that share the same unique knowledge. But what what brings you back? And, and I know we ask you to speak, but what, what gives you the opportunity or what makes you excited about being on stage um, and being a presenter and being an educator? Um, I think for me, it's... I, um, the preparation for being on stage is where I learn a lot. I, um, for example, for this year, I went back to everything from last year and everything new I've heard in between and all the studies and everything that's come out and pulled it all and listened to it again and, and tried to grab as much information as I could. So I have a lot of, um, of, of, uh, what's the word? Preemptive work on it to go in and just learn on that side. So for me, I guess it does come back to education again, but uh, there's a lot of a lot of new things that get brought up, a lot of old things, a lot of reiterating the same reiterating the same things again um, to kind of hammer home the point. But I just I like to feel the energy, like-minded people that you're with, um, other compounders, other practitioners that are learning and educating you and giving you new ideas, bringing different patient case studies that, that you may never have thought of. There was one last year where it was really interesting that basically discussed about exogenous estrogens and in the environment and how that can impact uh, patients. And sometimes we forget that. So those reminders, these other little nuances that could be the key to your, your hormone success is amazing to learn. Um, I get new pearls and new information every single time I come. This is my favorite event. I'm um, very happy to be selected to be here. And uh, I, I enjoy being on stage and teaching as much as I can, but I'm humbled with what I learn and to be able to be around others. I, I feel like I'm coming back to something as well. And I may have touched on it earlier when I was discussing Daniel and him coming on board, the amount of formulations that we've increased over the years and not only formulations, but the products that help change dosage forms and that focus on so many different disease states. You know, even just thinking off the top of my head, um, the impacts that we've made in the wound care space, um, scars, pain, HRT, both for men and for women in different delivery systems that, that we've designed, that we've released over the last few years, the veterinary applications, and Seb touched on this as well, the anhydrous application and water activity, what it means for both topical and cosmeceutical preparations as well as potentially transdermal. And then we think about all the different oral administration forms from um, a base designed for solutions and suspensions to trochies. And I can go on and on, Gus, and I know you're extremely humble. And you probably won't admit it, but I'm going to try to drive it out of you. Um, our membership base has increased over those 15 years. We've seen so many people come on board. Um, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that there are individuals who have joined PCCA because indirectly the innovation, the R&D, and the investments that we've made on the back end because they realize that these bases can have a difference on their final preparations. Um, I'm not going to say that we're, we've hit a wall. There are so many more opportunities that we don't even know ourselves. And we're looking forward to the future, not understanding how many more bases we're going to add to our repertoire. 
add to the availability to our PCCA membership so they can change patient lives. I always try to bring every conversation back to the, to the triad. And what do you think the research and development team here at PCCA with both Daniel and Fabiana and others that have such a tremendous impact on our products, what difference do you think they've made in the lives of patients and in the lives of physicians and in how they treat patients? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great, great question and uh, humbling to, to think about the, 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 the numbers of people that we've touched over the years that our members have touched through, through the products that, that we've created. I, I, I think um, you know, we're very fortunate to have a, a fantastic R&D team, a fantastic formulations team, and look, a very experienced, seriously big breadth of experience on, on the clinical services side. All of that put together, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm particularly proud of, of, all, of the, all, of the, all the pieces of technology that we've put out there. Because, because Mike, what you, you said something here that, that triggered a, a thought, and that is, you know, we, we know medications only work if they get to the site of action. And sometimes getting those, those, those needed um, pharmacologic agents to, to where they're supposed to work can be a challenge, or they're not there long enough. I'm thinking of, say, for instance, mucolox. Well, you know, this, 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 this was derived out of the, the knowledge that all of the different magic mouthwash formulas out there were, yeah, you know, they, they provided some efficacy, but they, they just didn't stick around on that mucosal surface long enough. They didn't provide the film forming that, that patients were, were needing. And that led to the innovation around this polymer system with great mucoadherent properties for, for better formulations to target things like mucositis. Um, and, and by the way, we actually, I have two clinical trials going on right now with that particular base. One with a Harvard-affiliated institution in Brigham and Women's, looking at the ability, or the impact rather, of mucolox with dexamethasone versus standard dexamethasone solution for the treatment of oral lichen planus. That, that, that relationship, you know, came out of a, a, a relationship that we had with one of our members in the area that were, was working with that particular institution and uh, really drove that, that, that to happen. The other, the other study that we've got going on is at um, Levine Cancer Institute in, in North Carolina. And they have their own particular ma magic mouthwash, if you will, an oral mucositis uh, formulation that they're now putting it into to mucolox to compare which one of the, their, their, their traditional one or the one with mucolox, um, which one has better efficacy. So it, it and, and that's, that's, that's tremendous. And, and it's getting, rec that means that these, these, these pieces of technology are getting recognized. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know, Mike. I mean, this, this, we've, we've touched, I'm, I'm guessing probably millions of, of people in, in a positive way. Um, look, we, we're, we're in a, we're in a, very different time today than we were 20 years ago as, as an industry. Um, we need to be reminded as professionals that, you know, we don't, I've, a colleague of, of mine says, you know, we're not, we're not making paper clips, we're making medicine. We're making life-saving medicine. And so the, the, the expectations being put on us as, as 
pharmacy professionals, as makers of this medicine, are higher than they were before. But let us not be deterred from continuing the good work. Uh, We do have to step up our game. We at PCCA, within our technical services area, meaning clinical services, meaning formulation development and uh, R&D, we understand those pressures. And we're investing in people and technology and other resources to make sure that we stay ahead of the game, to stay on the cutting edge. Thinking back from um, a a compounding pharmacy's point of view, so, um, and the question is to both of you guys. There's been so much information. I asked you the first question, Nat, kind of like, where did we start with all this? Where did you see an uptake? Where was their momentum? And you said it was probably around the mid-2000s where you saw a definite shift and a couple of key physicians and prescribers that were moving the dial and obviously influencing the entire market. Um, if you've been involved in the last five years, for example, where did you find a lot of your information, even outside of the Durham world, but where did you start to acquire information both in and out of PCCA? And um, how would one get accustomed to being more, uh, how can I put it, uh, just being more aware as to all the opportunities? Um, and then I'll let you guys kind of geek out <laughs> afterwards so we can kind of uh, probably put a, a more of a, a wrap and a bow on this podcast specifically. But I'm also thinking about people that just want to get started and uh, are jumping into this a bit later in the game, but still in its infancy in the grand scheme of things. Before Nat begins, uh, just really quickly, I'd like to reiterate that with Uh, any treatments, it is important to research the available clinical and scientific literature when evaluating the treatment for that patient. It is also important to document and ensure that the physician is aware of these particular concerns and uh, monitoring parameters for the patient. Um, I can't stress this enough. Document your decision for these patients, put it in your notes in your patient file, and give that opportunity uh, or give that information over to the physician. So, Nat, continue on. I think one of the great places to start, obviously, is the Internet. I mean, if you look at uh, how much information is out there, um, there's uh, one, of the rec- one of the websites that I have found to be very useful in getting information in general about Lotus Naltrexone is the LDNResearchTrust.org. So if you just log on to LDNResearchTrust.org, you will find pretty much everything we've talked about so far, except for maybe some of the details about disease states and and that sort of stuff. That, but that's um, a doctor or sorry, that's Linda Ellsgood's site. And it's correct. And she's a huge advocate. And she she was a patient and then she just likes to spread the good word about it. So she has a lot of research, but I, I don't know if it's necessarily only scientific based. It's also patient driven. And mm-hmm. it kind of ex- it really does flush out this for a lot of patients. It's a brilliant site, and we can't say enough nice things about her. She's really worked tirelessly over the last number of years. So, and you were on her po- her podcast not too long ago, right? Did an interview. So, yep, because because yeah. she this is a really interesting one. Uh, non-compounding pharmacies really can't get into the low dose naltrexone world. Um, it's the titrations and the starting point and finish point for patients is very mm-hmm. discreet. And the commercially available ones, you said 25 milligrams is the lowest strength possible. And grinding that up is like making um, lasagna with with Big Macs. That was kind of the only way we could do it. But we found that all the extra stuff in the uh, commercial tablets wasn't helping the patients. And now that we've been able to make it much cleaner, man, the results are, are that much 
more pronounced. So, but keep going, yeah. keep going. Where else do you look, Nat? Well, I, and um, I'm kind of different, I think, than uh, your a lot of people in that I actually, <laughs> I actually have the time uh, because of working for who I work for to actually go on the internet and go on PubMed and find articles. And I'm constantly, literally every day, I spend time on PubMed looking for the latest, greatest, uh, researching topics on whatever it is that I'm currently working on, projects I'm currently working on. And I've, you know, I've amassed a, 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 a file, so to speak, on naltrexone and also on derm and naltrexone and all these different things that I've come across. Um, but and, I don't know. I think a lot of what I've I've picked up on this, I, I because I I lean very heavily towards functional medicine in terms of my approach, in terms of uh, how do I look at a patient, how do I help uh, practitioners or, or pharmacists go about uh, helping that patient get well or get better um, is from a holistic perspective. I like to make sure that I'm looking at the whole patient and not just, you know, trying to come up with a formula to, to treat that exact moment in time, although that's what we get, we as we end up doing. But I think that if you just go on the internet, you're going to find so much information on naltrexone. It's unbelievable. You know, is it all reliable? No. Is it all, is a lot of it anecdotal? Yes. But there is research being done. Like I said, if you just go to PubMed and you type in low-dose naltrexone or just naltrexone in general, and you start reading through the articles, you're going to find lots and lots and lots of stuff. And that'll pique your curiosity, Mike. So if you, if you, if you, and once you get an article, you run down the rabbit trail. I go to the references at the end of the article and I start looking all those up, right? I got the time and that's what I do. So I find all the other references. Okay, what is this guy reading? What is this person reading? What is this group of people put this article together? What did they read to come to this conclusion they came to? You know what I mean? So after a while, you kind of get the, the big picture on what the data that's out there and how can I go about getting, you know, a more, a better perspective on whatever topic it is, but in this case, you know, now Trexone. So, yeah. Daniel, what about the ingredients The you talk about the development phase and sometimes this takes years and years in development. I know I'm switching gears from the current conversation and I'm again, going, again. I know that's what I, it's what I do <laughs> trying to drive the bus. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. And I think our, our audience is also curious to know more about the ingredients that you choose, and it's not necessarily the ingredient list, it's, it's where the ingredients come from. Because that also separates what you're trying to do to ensure that these bases are not going to be made on day one, but they're also going to stand the test of time. They're going to ensure that they're stable over time. They're going to ensure that we can allocate the, the appropriate expiry date to everything. Um, talk about the how you select certain ingredients and the manufacturers where they come from. because. The way I see it is it's part of our, oh, yeah. it's our standard. It's once again, where we acquire products. You can acquire products from absolutely anywhere. But what makes you choose certain ingredients and why you choose certain manufacturers when you're developing base? Okay. I think it's like, a, I love to cook, okay? And it's the same thing. I think if, if you have a, all the ingredients are perfect, but if you have the, your shrimp is not high quality, your food's not gonna taste amazing. And the reason because the quality of the one of ingredients, I mean, one ingredient can change everything. Mm -hmm. Okay, the same thing for our base. When we design a base, we are looking for um, different uh, technologies, different ways, how we can start with our brain, start with how, what we want. And then we start to look, okay, from what I want, what I need. And now the second question, what I need. And the third is what I have to do. To know what I have to do to get this, and I think the the, the that position in terms of 
uh, to the ingredients is going to make a lot of difference because we are trying to choose the best uh, ingredients with the high quality, uh, very good companies. We, are, we, we, we say no to a lot of ingredients because we don't believe the quality of the products. Uh, and sometimes they come with the marketing and say, that's the best product ever. This product's going to work well and uh, give them a sample. We're going to play a little bit and then start to discover some. Uh, okay. And uh, example, I have one of them is we start to develop a product. They send me a, a, a sample. I ask it different types of samples, same same ingredients, but different uh, lots, just to make sure it's totally different. One lot was totally different, another one different, another one. What that means? Imagine if I choose the product because the the marketing or the sales. Okay, when it goes to production, I'm never gonna have the same product because they're gonna be different. One is gonna be a color, or it's gonna change the the the, the potency of the product, and that's not what we are looking for. Example peptides, when we work for biopeptides for cosmetic or when we work for some, uh, I'm talking about the bases, I'm talking about APIs, mm -hmm. talking about how to develop, uh, some Amazon products, how we, we choose, how we look, uh, and uh, we, 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 care, we care about the, 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 how they're going to do that, how they're going to harvest the, the product. We, tr we try to find companies or, or farms that has a very good sustainable uh, way to, to to send the product to us. And we're always looking for that. It's not only for patients, but also for the earth. How are we gonna do that sustainable way? A, how, what are the products you guys use is something, there's some complexity for um, another states or another countries. We're always looking for that. So the, the big reason why we asked you to kind of join this podcast today uh, and why we wanted to record an episode with you, Peter, was because we've been putting a lot of thought in into how people expand their business practice, um, how they cater to the patients that uh, are close by to the communities that they serve. Um, you are in a very unique position. You, uh, you find yourself in downtown San Francisco. Uh, you've expanded a very successful compounding practice over the course of the last 10 plus years. Um, we wanted to share that story. We wanted a, the, the audience to really learn more about what made you successful? What made things different? Because traditionally, we do get a lot of incoming requests from people that want to join PCCA, and they find themselves in either rural areas, and sometimes they do happen to find themselves in very large metropolitan areas. Um, we did want to hear a lot more about your experience. We're, we're, I'm not going to give too much away because we do want to hear from you specifically. Um, but I guess the first question that we have for you is, being in a, in a very large metropolitan area, how did you come up with the concept of starting up a compounding pharmacy within downtown San Francisco? It, I wish I could sound really strategic and smart about it, but at the time I opened my pharmacy, which was 2009, at the bottom of the financial crisis, San Francisco was one of the more affordable areas in my region to start a business. Um, and at the time, there wasn't a, and still isn't, besides us, uh, a full-time compounding-only pharmacy that really dedicated itself to, to high-level compounding. So kind of the combination of availability of space and really nobody else doing it, um, you know, we, we decided to, to you know, stake our claim in that area. On, to, on top of that, I have pretty deep ties to San Francisco. I mean, family history goes back to the, the mid-1800s, and I, I love, absolutely love the area. So there was also just a personal excitement to kind of get back into the city and, you know, have a business there um, just because it's just a great place. So, um, 
know, all that kind of came together at that time. Um, you know, and then we kind of, you know, started figuring out how to make it work once we got things going. So with that being said, Peter, um, obviously painted a really great picture. San Francisco is not in the same, um, in the same spot financially now in 2019 versus what it was in 2009. So, uh, it's a very sought after place to be. Rent is not cheap. You've, you've managed to excel and, and succeed in a market that is, is definitely not the cheapest place to live either. Um, so how do you tailor your services and how do you market yourself at a very high level uh, to patients that potentially might have a higher disposable income, uh, but that also might be part of the, the younger demographic as well? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of part of the learning curve I had to figure out being in the metro area, especially a very expensive one, because it became expensive fairly quickly. And we were kind of benchmarking ourselves against the industry as a whole and realizing that we just weren't making it work. I mean, our expenses, I always joke that I challenge anyone to have higher rent than me. <laughs> I, I've talked to lots of people in all over the country about their compounding pharmacy rent, and I still have yet to find somebody who pays more than me. So <laughs> if you're out there, find me at International and We'll see. We'll compare notes. But um, the, the flip side of that is that we have a clientele and, and just a, a community that has a higher income level. And so we had to kind of figure out how to match the pricing to, to the expense and, and put ourselves at the you know, higher edge of the industry in terms of what we charge for our services and, continue, and really try to appeal to the value in that higher price, you know, like it's very you know, high quality chemicals, you know, we're very dedicated to PCCA's chemicals and we, you know, we're PCAB accredited. We do a lot of QA, uh, QC work on our finished products. And so really trying to say, yeah, it's the premium product. It's more expensive, but it's also kind of the gold standard. So, so to try to justify that higher price. And so far we've been successful with that. In terms of attracting a younger clientele, hasn't quite happened yet. Um, I think a lot of it is that they're not really seeking kind of medical care to the same level as, you know, caring postmenopausal women or, you know, elderly people who have more health needs. Um, you know, there's a few things that are kind of getting traction with the, the high um, energy tech crowd. But in general, you know, we're kind of waiting in the wings for that, that cohort to get old enough to start to need what we're doing. And I think in general, we're going to be in a good position to appeal to that demographic because they do uh, generally want something customizable, more you know, outside the box, not just you know um, something that's going to come from a from a algorithm or or some sort of you know you know health. Um, I mean, trying to say like you know, if it, you know, blood pressure protocol, they're going to want something that's more tailored to them so that they can you know be a more live a more healthier life. So for that, for that group, we haven't quite, uh, you know, built a huge patient base around it, but I, I definitely see that coming in the next 10, 15 years. So now I'm going to turn it back to the compounding world. Are, oh, we, sure. see, are we seeing compounders uh, get some of their services and their personalized medicine and some of that into those contract discussions? Are, are we seeing the benefit to, to, to literally our listenership? Absolutely. I mean, so that can be something especially because of the unique products that compounders provide. I mean, let's just say it's BHRT. That maybe you know, it depends on the payer. The payer may say, you know, I've got um, a pain point for me is related to the lack of 
of, of BHRT medications. I mean, that's probably be a unique payer, but um, so they could have a group of, com of compounders provide that medication, a group of compounders in that local network. Mm -hmm. But there's, a, there's many other you know, specific medications that compounders are providing. The ones that jump out are going to be uh, wound care, getting people back on their feet, getting them back to work. I'm going to say pain management medication, and then uh, right away, anything that's related to, to quality of life with respect to all of the GI patients. And I know that's always going to be a hot topic, and it's going to just only get bigger on its own world. But yeah, I can see those three being bigger with almost every payer that's out there. So right. I, I, I just, the vision, the vision that you've already established, I'm like, now I'm getting excited about it. Like, ooh, 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 ooh. So, especially in the compounding realm, I think that there's just a tremendous opportunity here if they're involved. Absolutely. I mean, compounding is so essential. Compounding, you know, one thing I, you know, PCCA doesn't pay me to say this, but I, I believe it. Um, you know, so I graduated in the early 90s and went through wet lab. And there was a, you know, kind of a light wet lab for, for us and at the school I went to. And, um, I really attribute the renaissance of compounding, because it was pretty much gone, you know, probably in the 70s, 80s. Um, but I really attribute the renaissance of compounding to, to PCCA. Um, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm misinformed, but from my point of view, when compounding really wasn't that cool or in vogue, that's, you know, PCCA was, was banging the drum saying, this is something folks need to get interested in. And there have been a lot of others who have contributed to that growth of compounding over the last 25 years, 30 years. But I would say that the renaissance really started with PCCA. Well, that's a wrap. That is 2019 as our year in review. Thank you so much for tuning in to some of our most brightest and best moments. We hope that 2020 uh, brings more information to the podcast and obviously feel free to like, subscribe, and to provide more feedback to us as we try to always improve. Um, as always, please like, subscribe to us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, we wish you a happy 2020 and all the best to you and your pharmacy staff.